Bible calls that grace that's yours. And so is peace from God our Father, from our Lord. It's a big name, it's a big word from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. We just sang a wonderful hymn. It's one of my favorites. As you were singing it, thy strong word, what were you thinking? What's the word? Were you primarily thinking of the book? If you were, that's an understandable thing. There are big chunks of Christianity and a big chunk of Judaism also in Jesus' day that thought of it that way, right? The people, the Jews are called the people of the book. Why? Because they thought the book, the compiled writings at the center of their life, at the center of their worship life, it was God's word the Lord's capitalized words to them. And so rightly they were called, the Jews were, also in Jesus' day, the people of the book. And there are plenty in our day, 2,000 years after Jesus, came claiming to be the culmination and the climax of the book. There are plenty today who call themselves Christians who would say, try to, confess that they're part of Christendom who have denied the book as any value other than, you know, the ruminations of humans about God. You know, basically on the same level as Uncle Joe talking to you about God. You know, maybe worth listening to, but remember Uncle Joe has his own view about things, including God. So it's up to him. No, that's not what you believe and teach and confess by the Spirit's work, you actually have come to think, to believe, to know, to confess that the Bible is the inspired word of God to the humans. And yet, again, I still ask you the question, when you sang the hymn, Thy strong word, and it's rousing kind of melody that carries the word so well, I think, were you thinking of the book I'll confess to you, many times I've sung this hymn, and many times I thought of us singing about the book, primarily. Because there were so many who were denying the power of the scriptures inspired by God. And yet, also did you notice, so I'm not going to say that's a wrong way to sing that great hymn, but it's deficient, isn't it? It's incomplete. And if you push it too far, it's really unfaithful. Jesus himself made the huge claim, which got him killed, to be the center of the book. You guys study the scriptures. He was talking to the best students of the Bible in his day. You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. Do the right thing that the scriptures say. Obey God. That's what's going through their head. You search the scriptures because by them you think you have eternal life. But here's the jarring assertion by a Jew standing there in the flesh 
but they are they which testify of me, of Jesus in the flesh. Not just the nice guy, not just the example, the one that if we follow his actions and his words, we'll have a better life. No, he claims to be the very Lord of those scriptures, which was a word that wouldn't even be said by faithful Jews in his day. He said before Abraham was, I am. Pastor Wilkins will tell you in Bible class sometime when he comes to that name in the scriptures, he doesn't say it either. It's the way we're all taught. You come to that special four-letter name that, the, that our Bibles capitalize all the way across. It's so special. We flip a new different pronunciation for it. Jesus claimed to be the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Claimed to be the center of the scriptures. And so when we sang thy strong word, thy, we're talking to a person, aren't we? A person who's witnessed at the center of those scriptures faithfully and nowhere else is he witnessed faithfully. So we're singing an awesome truth that you'd never invent, that I'd never invent, but that is at the center of Christianity, faithful Christianity's worship and life ever since. Jesus is the Lord God, who is the Word who was with God in the beginning, but was God in the beginning. The eternal Word of God who what? Put on flesh? And so when Jesus is walking around, seriously? You're going to claim and assert that he is God? And when he's sleeping in the boat while a storm is going on around the disciples and they say, Lord, don't you care? Notice how they addressed him, Lord, don't you care? And then later on, he's hung up on a tree and killed. What a silly God you claim to have at the center of your life and at the center of your hope for an eternal life? That's exactly the point. So when we come to the gospel lesson for today, I confess I heard this many times in my life. I'm not saying the preacher said it. I'm not saying that the Lutheran teacher that I had in Lutheran elementary school said it this way, but this is always, almost always what I heard. The story of Mary and Martha. I've heard the story and I heard it. Again, I'm not saying they said it this way. I heard it as a morality tale, like the way all humans deal with all of literature. It's a morality tale. You know, there's a story and there are people in the story. And at the end of the story, someone always says this or its equivalent, and the moral of the story is... What's the moral of Mary and Martha? If you're hearing it through my biblicistic, that is, putting too much emphasis on the Bible and forgetting the Christ at the center of the Bible, it's both and, not either or, you'd hear, oh, I should be listening to the Bible. Here's Martha, busy, busy, and here's Mary. Mary's the good one. Be like Mary. I'm just saying... That's the way I heard it. If you hear it that way this morning, I hope it's not because of what comes out of the preacher's mouth. Let's take a careful look at the story of Martha 
and Mary. Jesus has been transfigured. He was up on the mountain. Peter and James and John saw him looking like nothing had ever been seen before and heard him talking with Elijah and Moses, great figures from the Old Testament. And he said, now I'm heading down to Jerusalem. As the introduction to the worship series points out, Jesus set his jaw toward Jerusalem, where we know, in retrospect, he would be killed. To show his glory, to show his deity, he goes and is ashamed and is humiliated and is killed. It's a strange way to be God. And yet, before, before he gets there, he stops at the house of friends, Martha and Mary. And one does what we would do if we were hosting someone that was important. Three verbs describe her, and they describe her in ongoing ways. Distracted, worried, bent out of shape, basically. If it's somebody you care about, your future son-in-law, your future daughter-in-law, somebody important, you care deeply. You understand, Martha, don't you? Don't we? She's doing the right thing. Meanwhile, Luke records, there sits Mary. So, using a verb tense that indicates an ongoing action, listening. That's all she's doing, listening. Martha does what any one of us would do who try to do the right thing. In fact, who actually, we actually think we do the right thing, right? This is what we've been told so many times. Do the right thing. Another thing we're told, if it's worth doing, do it right. And so we're going to do it right, especially if somebody important's here. And she's going to do it right. And she has the bold courage to say, Jesus, Lord, tell her to help me. The panache that she has, just like you do and I do, Lord, fix my child that's sick and I can't make it right. Lord, this isn't the way it should be. My eyes judge it correctly and infallibly. Lord, Fix my dad, fix my son who doesn't trust the way I think, that, at least according to my eyeballs, that he should. Lord, do it, we say to him. Kind of we can commend her coming to him as someone who could do something about it. But on the other hand, she's wrong, as Jesus himself points out. He says, you're worried and distracted about many things, but Mary has chosen the better part, and it won't be taken away from her. She's picked the better thing, and it won't be taken away from her. It was a gift, and it won't be taken away. Jesus promised. What's the gift? Is Jesus reading the Bible to her? He's speaking words to her, but the real point is who is the one who's sitting there with Mary at his feet? It is the Word of God himself. It is the highest revelation of God that humans will ever get. It's a Jew. It's a human who he promises is also 
God in the flesh. Not just the human, just giving an example to life. This is God in the flesh who's come down because we can't climb up, who's come down because no matter how much we pray or try or hurdle or try to do the right thing, or if we're going to do it, do it right, we can't do it. And so God sent Jesus to come all the way down to be the one to take our place, to be made to be sin for us in our place so that we be the righteousness of God. It's an astounding word of God, an astounding promise of God. Mary was listening to God himself in the flesh. What's the first commandment? No other gods. How does Luther explain it? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, things, Ideas, people, our own ideas about God. Luther is also right when he points out how many gods you and I invent every day. How many gods you and I as oh-so-pious Christians still are tempted to invent every day. And it's why I tell myself in the name of Jesus I'm forgiven for hearing the scriptures so wrong, so almost close, almost right, so often, and yet missing the real point. Mary has a God who's the God who reveals himself in the way God chooses to reveal himself in the flesh of a Jew who's going to get killed. And that somehow shows his omnipotence and his glory and his grace and his forgiveness and his love. That's exactly the point. Paul will say, this so that we live by faith in the promises of God and not by sight, ours or anybody else's. Mary has a God. Martha has a God. You have a God who was sitting and Mary was listening. That's the amazing truth at the center of Luke 10. It's not a mere morality tale. It's God, the eternal God, who had no images in the Old Testament, now showing himself in the fleshy Jesus to be the one who'd go the way of the cross, resolutely setting his chin to Jerusalem to die for the likes of us and them, and in fact, all of them. Those who are trying oh so piously to follow their own gods, or those who are trying oh so piously to follow the gods that are just a little bit off of the scripture's faithful teaching centered in Jesus Christ, the incarnate word of God who came for sinners of whom I am the worst. It's an amazing thing, this promise that Jesus, that God in Jesus gives to Mary. And it's an amazing promise that you and I need to hear and if we're tempted to go the way of the morality tale, so how in the world then do I do what Jesus says to listen? How do I get commended? By listening to where God says he is. Today, 2,000 years after he was on the earth, 2,000 years after he was crucified, and oh, by the way, was raised from the dead, and oh, by the way, is now ascended to the right hand of God, whereas in a couple of prayers already we've said he lives and he rules. No kidding. No matter who's the president in the White House, no matter which party's in power, no matter 
which local person is in power around us and we're so tempted to think it's all out of control. No, it's not. I say to you, in the name of God, in the flesh, who comes to us how? We started the time together saying, it's a brazen thing, it's a bold thing to say we know anything at all about God. What does our service folder say? See your life the way God does. He sees you, he promises, in Christ. That's a shocking truth. He sees me and all of my hypocrisy and all of my busyness trying to get myself saved and trying to get my family saved and trying to get everybody else saved. All of that busyness. He sees me in Christ. And in Christ's blood, I'm righteous. And it's the same promise of God to you. In Jesus Christ it is. Come to God and apart from Christ. And you frankly, like Luther says, you are worshiping Satan. But God in Christ. That's the God who forgives. And the promise is that won't be taken away. How does Luther end each of his explanations for each of the, the articles of the creed? This is most certainly true. God in Christ, in Christ, loves you, forgives you, empowers you, and it won't be taken away from you. Or Martha, who later on, remember, when their brother Lazarus was killed, came running to Jesus. She trusted in him. She trusted in the resurrection. She didn't know all the details about it. Okay. But again, a beautiful confession from Jesus who took on that name again and said, I am the resurrection of Martha. We need to hear that kind of thing, don't we? We who have heard the word and promise of God over and again. We who want others to know with certainty that they have a home in heaven. We need to say it. Say it. What's the it? Read the Bible. Well, that's a good thing to say, but even more important than read the Bible is read the... Let me tell you about the Christ at the center of the Bible and keep on reading the Bible. Don't believe in a Jesus that's apart from the Bible, but let's hear the Christ, believe the Christ, trust in the Christ at the center of the Bible, and I get to proclaim him to you. Husbands, you get to say to your wives. And wives, you get to say to your husbands. And parents, you get to say to your kids and your grandkids. And it won't be taken away from them, the promise of Jesus says. Your eyes might tell you otherwise. But the word and promise, your ear, tells you what the word and promise of God is it won't be taken away. So listen in worship. Listen where God says he is to be found. Trust that he actually is found at the font. That right there you're baptized into the one who lives and who rules all things. It's a promise of God that can't be taken away from you. Listen to the word in promise when you come to the altar and receive a, a wafer of bread and a dose of wine that have been consecrated in the Lord Jesus' name and according to his word and promise for your forgiveness again. 
hear it from the pulpit through the lips of a feeble preacher who does things that are annoying to you, says things that aren't quite right, in fact, who is just a human just like you, and yet, by the grace of God, Christ is proclaimed to you faithfully on the basis of the Scriptures. There, there, you are saved, the promise of God says. It's really fun that this happens to be the gospel lesson on the day when your new pastor is going to be installed this afternoon. Crazy. I know you love Pastor Hafner when he served here, and now he's gone. And now comes a new humble servant of what? The new way to follow Pastor Jay. Or is he going to be installed to be nothing more and nothing less than a proclaimer of the word? Does that mean only the Bible? No. The Christ at the center of the Bible, which includes, of course, the Bible. And there, you actually trust that Jesus himself is speaking. He who listens to you listens to me, Jesus says. He who listens to me listens to him who sent me. It's remarkable, isn't it? Like I said, we started singing personally, thy strong, as if God, as if we can talk to God, sing to God, as if he's our father. That's the point, isn't it? That's why we're here. Thanks be to God. He comes to us in such fascinating ways that he comes to us so graciously with so much power and above all with so much love and forgiveness in Jesus. Amen. Please rise.